Hey everybody, Ramy here. Um, did a lot of video the other day, but I'm gonna do another one today. Um, I'm kind of in the making video mood, you know, that kind of stuff, doing some different things around the house. Um, and I thought I would make a video just to kind of talk about some of the things that I've been like noticing and seeing happening. Some of the things I'm excited about, some of the things I'm not so excited about, just different things like that. All right. Um, okay, so where do I start? <laughs> Okay, I know where I'm going to start. So let's talk about some of the things that I'm noticing, at least like in the business sector um, with maybe even where I want to start is, you know, with systems. So for those of you that aren't familiar with like systems theory or chaos theory. So what systems theory is, is systems theory basically explains that, you know, we're all interconnected. Everything is interconnected within a system. And there are a bunch of subsystems within a system. Um, and the system itself is self-renewing. Like, so when something happens, the system works itself out. So what that means is, how does that relate to us? So basically what that means is like, right now what's happening with COVID, with the virus, is unfortunate, but terrible what's happening in society. Just awful and like watching what's happening. But... You know, as far as what's happening from a, a business standpoint, um, people have lost their jobs. Certain industries are failing. And it's no cause, no fault of their own for the most part. Uh, you know, I could, could say some businesses didn't prepare, but I can't blame people for stuff like that. Um, I would not want to blame people for stuff like that. Um, but it's like... <sighs> So I don't want to blame people for something like that. I don't want to really even blame the businesses. It's more like we're blaming this virus for it. So let's talk a little bit about that. So in a system, when one thing happens, which right now is coronavirus, other things are also happening. It's like this ripple effect. So, you know, systems theory explains that a system is self-renewing, that a system will... You know, it's interconnected. So how are we interconnected right now? What what exactly is happening in society? So it's interesting, you know, you hear about like, well, uh, lots of people have lost their jobs. But the interesting thing about that is you're also hearing like there are areas in retail and certain sectors that are actually hiring right now. Why are they hiring? Because all of a sudden there's been this huge demand for what they are doing. Um, so it's like this this t balance. There's like this tipping balance. And right now the scale is, you know, it tipped to start. It tipped like way up where there was like job loss and like nothing happening. But it's actually tipped down a little bit where some of these industries like retail and stuff and grocery stores are actually hiring a little bit. So the scale's tipping a little back, bit back up. But there's still a lot of failure here. So what does that mean? What does that mean is as we move with this, the scale will eventually go back to normal. How that happens, we don't know. But some things that I'm predicting are gonna happen are first of all, there's gonna be new industries born out of what's happening right now. There will be either inventions, there will either be in industries, there will be innovation, things that are gonna happen right now um, that we, we don't know what that's gonna be, but they're gonna become like this huge thing. Already, like just to start and talk about things that have become bigger, like how many of you, now, maybe people watching this video probably know what this is, but how many of you just heard of Zoom in the last month? Like, I can tell you, like, my wife and my mom and my dad and, like, my sister, 
They don't use Zoom. They don't know what this is. They're not using this stuff all the time. Well, maybe my sister is. She's working on her doctorate. She probably is. But it's there's all these new technologies that are being released or not necessarily being released, now being repurposed or being used for what they were that society did not need four weeks ago that all of a sudden we do need. And Zoom is one of them. So there's all these good, there's, so there's going to be a significant amount of innovation and new businesses that are started from what's happening in society today. You know, if we look in two years from now into the future at all the innovations that were started right now, it's going to be just amazing. It really will be amazing. And that's just, I'm just talking about innovations in tech, but there's going to be all kinds of medical and other fields that have their own innovations as well. And it's going to be really interesting just to watch and see like how innovation takes hold during this pandemic. And that's because, as I just said, we are in a system. The system is self-renewing. The system is constantly going, even when we feel like it's stopping. There's other things happening. That's just the way it works. That's what systems theory is. Um, basically, and that's how chaos theory relates. Chaos theory is more of like, you know, in a time of uncertainty, when it just seems like there's chaos all around, order actually starts to happen. Um, and it's what's happening with our pandemic. So it'll be really interesting to watch. So that's like from a business standpoint, like trying to figure out like what is going to happen because eventually things are going to open back up, but it's going to change. And how is it going to change? And how is that going to affect things? So like when we talk about like restaurants, even like different industries, like restaurants, are they going to be able to have, is a restaurant that had, was able to fit 160 people two months ago in their restaurant going to be able to fit 160 people in their restaurant in three months from now or whenever they open up two weeks from now or whatever it is, are they going to be able to fit that many people? Probably not. They might only be able to fit 80 people. So how is that going to affect their prices so that they can actually pay their employees, pay their rent, pay all their stuff? It's probably going to cause prices to go up, which is going to mean there's only 80 people that can now eat there, but it's 80 of the more people who can afford it. So there's going to be, now maybe that'll start to affect paychecks and, and it's going to start to affect like rent and mortgages and what people can afford. So there's this whole system that's going to be worked out based on this. Um, one of the things I'll, I will point out is something interesting that I'm noticing as well with business is I see a lot of people, at least like on like the Reddit forums and even in like some news who are like, you know, people shouldn't be paying rent right now. Um, and that's interesting, and I don't, I'm talking about America right now, not other countries because they're doing different things, um, but like, you know, that people shouldn't be paying rent, and I think that that's an interesting concept, and I think there's something that a lot of people are missing about the concept of people not paying rent. So first of all, I think that there's like this concept out there, this idea that landlords are extremely wealthy. Who, uh, that they own their buildings outright and they're making, you know, if your rent's $2,000 a month, that that means they're profiting $2,000 a month. Um, and this couldn't be further from the truth. Um, yes, there are hedge funds and large companies and management companies out there that own houses outright and are making a significant amount of money from them. But there's also like grandma down the street that owns her house and is renting out like a room. And she's doing that because she needs it to pay the mortgage. Or there's like, you know, I, I own a property um, and well, I own one property besides my house and I charge rent for it, but I also have a mortgage. And let me just explain how this works. So like I have a mortgage on the house. I, I charge about 150 to $200 per month more than what my mortgage is. 
which seems like, oh, that's awesome. Like I'm making like two over two grand a year on the house. No, not at all. Because what's happening is um, I have an HOA fee that I have to pay on top of that. So part of that $200 a month that I make goes towards the HOA fee. That's like 50 of the dollars. So now we're down to 150. I had my air conditioner of the house break about a year and a half ago. That was $6,000. So three years of me having rental property is shot in one air conditioner. That doesn't include probably like, I'd say every other month something happens in the house. Like someone needs to come repair the dishwasher or the washer and dryer or the water heater or the water pressure is not right or um, something else like that. And then when I get new tenants in, I get the repaint. That's like $2,000. I get the I don't have to repaint every time, but I have to repaint like probably once every two years because renters usually uh, floors. I have to redo the floors consistently in the house. Um, I have to worry about yard maintenance, which is another fee I'm paying monthly. Uh, cutting the lawn, hedging the property, making sure it looks correct, making sure it's power washed once a year or my HOA will be crazy. Um, so when you start talking about like a renter and someone making profit, there's really not a lot of wiggle room. The way that you make profit from renting a property is actually holding on to the property until the mortgage is paid, which for me will be in 20 years. And then yes, whatever I'm renting it for, I will be taking a significant amount of money from. But I'm, it's taking me 30 years to get to that point. If we were to compare that with the stock market, I might as well have just invested the money in a stock market. Um, and I'll be probably evening out. So... It's really like not, it can, it's a slow way to have a good investment and it's very time consuming and it's very risky. And that's the other thing, like I have to invest a lot of time into this too, but let's just ignore all the stuff I just said and say, should people stop paying rent? You have to remember if I stop, if my renters were to say, we can't afford rent. Now, first of all, I have an emergency fund and you always should have that kind of stuff. And so should renters. Every person should have a six month emergency fund that covers your expenses for six months. That's a different topic um, than what I want to talk about right now, but that's a whole besides the point. But let's say my renters stop paying rent. That means I can't pay my mortgage. Now, they're saying stop paying rent because I think they think that all landlords are like these huge mortgage brokers and these big hedge funds and rich people, and so who cares, right? Um, but it's like I'm just another middle-class person who all of a sudden now my renter can't pay rent, which means I can't pay my mortgage, which means what? That means I lose the rental. Um, and let's say I lose my job too. I'm just, cause I'm just like the renters. I lost my job as well, um, which I haven't, but let's, we're just hypothetical situation. So someone who owns a house or two, maybe they had to move because of work, or maybe they had to take care of a sick relative and they couldn't sell their house. So they had to keep it and they have to rent it out to pay the mortgage. All of a sudden they can't pay that mortgage. They can't pay their current mortgage because they also lost their job. So now we're talking about a bank taking two houses and they're going to sell it to a big company or a wealthy industry that's like hedge fund that's able to weather the loss through the coronavirus. So by not paying rent, you're hurting all of those middle-class people. Now, what would be a solution to this problem would be to have, and it's very difficult to solve this, but other countries have done it, especially like in Europe. Basically what they did is they froze all rent and mortgages and they guaranteed bank money to loan out. Because here's what happens. Rent can't be paid, 
that means mortgages can't be paid, which means the bank is going to own the house and sell it to a hedge fund or a management company. That's not what we want to have happen. We want mortgages to be frozen. If mortgages are frozen, that means rents can be frozen. But you also have to remember, if people aren't paying their mortgages, the banks need that money to be able to loan out to keep the economy going. So you can't just stop paying the banks either. Even though maybe the bank, we see the banks as like this big evil thing, they do actually do a lot of good by lending money out. So we need to have that happening as well. So it's a system. It's not just like a simple stop paying rent or stop paying, no. What happens is someone like the government or Federal Reserve or something would need to step in and say to banks, we're gonna loan you the money to lend out because you, we've frozen mortgages, we're gonna lend you that money. And that'll allow landlords to stop rent and stop stuff like that. But then, okay, so that solves part of that problem. But there's still other issues. Like, okay, so so let's say landlords aren't collecting rent because mortgages are frozen. They don't have a mortgage. Good. What happens if the air conditioner goes? Who's going to pay that six grand? Is the, the landlord going to pay six grand for an AC when they're not collecting any money, any rent, not making anything from the property? Or is now the tenant going to be stuck with it or stuck with no air conditioner? So there's all kinds of issues. It's not like people have these simple, think that they have these simple solutions for very complex problems. It does not work like that. It's not simple. We are in a system. You can't just like shut down one part of the system. It does not work like that. There's a ripple effect happening everywhere. So we have to think about that and really consider that when we start talking about like these things. You know, I hear it from our leadership too. Um, I just hear them come on the news and just say, we're going to do this or that or the other thing. And I'm thinking like, did you think about like the hundred things that what you just said are going to affect and how that probably cannot even be possible? Um, so that's like one of the big things, some of the things I'm seeing with business. Other things I'm seeing with business, there's actually all kinds of positive stuff happening. Like, you know, um, like I'm, my field is online learning and teaching and working and like we've blown up, like there's people hiring right now. Um, I'm involved in esports a lot and esports, I'm reading articles about companies investing money right now. BMW just bought five teams yesterday. Like how cool is that? BMW just invested a boatload of money to buy five teams yesterday. Why? Because ESPN, other networks, esports can actually happen right now, whereas other sports are not. So we have things like that happening, which is really, really cool and exciting. And like, you know, I like, I like being able to see like businesses thrive in like a time when like it's really hard to, because that's how the system works. Like certain things remain successful, certain things do not. Like, you know, Instacart is doing really well. Like they bring food and buy things for people and bring, like I think that's just a brilliant idea. I'm glad to see something like that working. But like the airlines, which are a great business as well, are doing bad. So we have to figure out like how do they fit into the system and how will they come back and hopefully they have money to weather the storm or the government's able to supplement them. Um, you know, my ideas for the government helping out during a crisis like this when we have to be shut down is I, do what Europe did. You know, stop, like we got this stimulus, like I, like people are getting stimulus money and it's like, first of all, it, it, it's a very odd amount of money. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I guess I could talk about my spiel about the whole stimulus thing right now. Um, so, <laughs> so let's talk about some of the problems. So first of all, the stimulus is going to make a lot of people rich, a lot of businesses rich. We have hedge funds claiming to be small businesses applying for stimulus money. Um, we have people who have $30 million in the bank 
who are just living off the investment of the interest of the 30, which means like they, they have like a $400,000 a month income. I mean, year income. But that income's not really income. It's just interest off their investment. So it's not counted as income, even though on their taxes, it's, they're just living off of interest. And they're actually able to make $400,000 last year. And they are also able to collect stimulus money. <laughs> They're get, and this is happening because I'm seeing it on all the Reddit forums that I'm on with all the people who have um, retired with a large amount of money. And they're like, this is ridiculous that I'm getting a stimulus right now. My salary last year was $200,000. <laughs> but yet the guy who made 80 grand last year that's fired from his job is not getting any stimulus money. <laughs> so tell me how that makes any sense. The guy who made 80 grand last year that lost his job that might be losing his mortgage is um, not getting stimulus money, and the dude who made 200 grand off his interest of his bank account or in investment funds um, is actually going to get stimulus money. So that's what our stimulus did. It's a very odd thing. My solution for the stimulus would have been something much different. I would have done more what, I, I really like what Europe did. Anyone who lost their job and made like up to a certain amount. So like couples, let's say use the amount the government did, 75 grand individual, um, 150, you got get 80. If you lose your money because of what's happening right now, you lost your job, the government's gonna give you 80% of your salary. Um, so what does that mean? That would mean like couples and let's say you made like $300,000, but you lost your job. You'd still get up to like the maximum, like the 150 maximum, you know? So that means everybody, every person who lost their job would be getting this money. Now, why do I agree that that's a good solution for right now for short term? Because the government's forcing us to shut everything down. I don't, I think that when the government says we're opening back up, they stop that. And because we can't have people just like, claiming they're not, you know, there's going to be all kinds of problems with it, but we really have to step up and make sure the economy does not collapse right now. You know, we don't want to have this like economic, uh, fallout and it's going to happen and we need to make sure we do what we can to offset it. We have to remember, unfortunately, interest rates were already too low to begin with and taxes were already cut too much in the last three years, which is a huge problem. We should have never did this. Like all the things I've been talking about when the economy tanks because the government's not going to have anything to, all the things that they normally do to stimulate the economy, they're not going to be able to do. And they really can't do it when there's a huge virus out there. So, you know, so let's talk about things happening. This leads right into my conversation about things happening in society right now. So, like, there seems to be a big, like, reopen reopen certain states like there's a big reopen north carolina and reopen certain states um and it's an interesting conversation because the people for it are saying you know it's my choice if i want to reopen i can you just don't have to go and get sick and that's an, a one way to look at it and then the people against it are like well you know we got to listen to the scientists and we're not supposed to do that and don't worry, the economy's not worth lives. And so there are some interesting viewpoints there. And I think, you know, I don't, 
there's some interesting, when you look at it from all angles and you try to figure out, well, what is happening, as I said, in this system's view, like, and this is what our leaders need to do is look at it from the system's perspective and really figure out like what is happening. So let's look at this issue right now with like reopen, not reopen, um, economy and stuff. So first of all, here's the problem with just reopening. And also here's the, and I'll explain the problem with not too. So the problem with reopening is that, okay, that's fine and dandy. We reopen, the people who wanna go back to work and be normal can. The problem is, if they do, all of a sudden we have this rush of sickness, here's the problem. All of those people who are now sick have now harmed our medical staff. So our first responders are gonna A, get sick because of these people, possibly die because of these people, have to work in terrible conditions and not have enough ventilators, make decisions on who's going to die because people wanted to reopen. Um, and so it's not that reopening, someone can say, well, it's my choice. The problem is your choice is going to affect our medical system. So that's the problem with reopening. It's not that this choice is going to affect you. That's fine. Like, I don't care. If you sign a waiver, if I get sick, I will not go to the ER. Fine. You go ahead and reopen up. But the problem is that's not what's going to happen. The problem is all the people who do get sick will go to the ER. And even if it's just one person and you affect a doctor and that doctor gets sick and dies, you caused their death because you wanted to reopen and you went out, you took a risk that's now straining everyone else. It's the same, it's the, it's the seatbelt argument. If you're not familiar with that is, it's like, it's my choice not to wear a seatbelt. So if I get in a car wreck, it's on me, right? I'm the one that's going to die. No, what actually happens is if you get in a car wreck and you didn't wear a seatbelt and you're more injured now because you didn't wear a seatbelt, guess what? There's some hospital that's going to have to treat you. And because you didn't wear a seatbelt, your insurance might not cover it. And if even if your insurance covers it, somewhere someone's going to have to pay for your injuries because of your neglect. That means either you're costing the insurance company a bunch of money that wouldn't have had the happen if you would have worn your seatbelt or the medical hospital now has to deal with it and eat that cost and charge everyone else more money. So this is where like we're all part of a system we have to think about. So like you can't just do certain things. It just doesn't make sense. Now let's talk about the problem with not reopening because the people who are saying reopen they do there is a good point there. We can't just stay shut down forever. Um, first of all, the as I said earlier, the government needs to step up and have a solution for us, a unified plan. And maybe that plan is, hey, we are going to do what China did and just completely shut down. But we don't, we don't need to do that. Um, so, but let's say we did. Then the government needs to have a plan to make sure the economy continues to function. And that might be paying everyone a salary while it happens, while there's this mandatory shutdown. Fine. The other solution is to look at what some of the other countries did who have successfully stopped this virus in its tracks and remained open. The number one country who did it, Taiwan. Just follow their model. Why can't we just follow a model of a country that's working, that's doing this? They remained open for the whole time, which we're past the point of that because we didn't do anything. We were not proactive. We've been reactive. But we can still come back. How can we come back? So do what Taiwan did. Taiwan, everyone wore a face mask while the virus is out. If you were affected, they did tons and tons of testing. If someone was affected, they had a mandatory quarantine, which they faced jail time or a big fine if they broke it. 
because we can't have people breaking quarantine if they're sick. So if you're sick, you're mandatory quarantine. Everyone who you exposed also has mandatory quarantine, which I know would be not fun, but that's what you do. And guess what? You find the, so there are these little pockets you find everywhere in the virus, but you shut them down so hard right away that it doesn't spread. And every, that allows the rest of the economy in Taiwan to continue. Schools to go on, kids to go to school, all the stuff. You, but you have to do that kind of stuff. In Taiwan, the kids, like when they sit at a desk, they have a divider. So like if a kid coughs, it doesn't go to the kid next to them. So like we've got to start thinking in those terms to figure out how to actually get the economy on track. Because I can tell you right now, like if you opened up today, I can guarantee the people in my neighborhood aren't leaving their house. They're not going to a restaurant tomorrow unless you guarantee their safety. They're not going to a movie. They're not going to concerts. They're not running the stores. They're not doing anything. So you've got to really come up with and figure out how, how to make this safe, how to do it. And there are ways to do it. We just have to do it. It doesn't even take a genius to figure it out. We have a model. We have, a, we have countries doing it. Follow the model. It doesn't need to be polarized politically, which what we're doing. We have the left and right fighting with each other over common sense issues that, I mean, we have top epidemiologists who are experts saying, look, here's what's going to happen. Yes. And people don't understand when they say this is what the model predicts. This is what the model says. Now, people who are making assumptions about these models, I see comments and Reddit and all over the web, have no idea how to read statistics, have no idea what the models actually mean, how they change, how different factors, variables being fed into the model change things. They don't even know how to read what the model's saying. Let me just give you an example. So they're saying, you know, the big thing is we've, we, our social distances, distancing is working. They were, you know, people are saying, well, the model originally said 2 million people were going to die of this. And then they changed it to 200,000 and then they changed it to 60,000. So these people don't know what they're talking about because the models are all wrong. These scientists are bonkers. No, that's not what happened. The 2 million number was, here's what's going to happen if we do nothing. The 200,000 people dying model was that they assumed that only a certain number of people would social distance. What happened is it turned out more people were social distancing than they thought actually would listen. So they were able to lower their estimate from 200,000 to 60,000. They were only able to lower their estimate because... It wasn't their model was incorrect. It was their variable. They thought that people wouldn't listen and actually more people did. So it wasn't even that their model was wrong. It's just they had to enter some more variables. And as they've always said from the beginning, if you listen to the doctors on the news, they're saying oh, the models will change as we get real data and know what's really happening. It feeds it into the model and makes it better and better. And you really don't know the final case until you see it when it's all done. You know, we're like trying to predict right now. It's like trying to predict a hurricane. They don't know what's going to happen. They get closer and closer and things shift, 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 but they're narrowing it down. Same thing is happening here. Um, then the next problem is now people are saying, well, we're at the peak and uh, just got to check the time here. We're at the peak, so we don't have to worry like we're past it. There's only going to be 60,000 deaths. So first of all, that's incorrect. The 60,000 death model assumes that all current social distancing efforts are kept in place until May 31st. That's another six weeks from now. The 60,000 deaths 
that we have predicted right now in our world, in the United States, are if we actually remain social distance for another six weeks. Not if we stop now. No, that's not how it works. So, you know, people can't read this, these models, and it's like they didn't even take the time. It takes five minutes to look up what I just explained. Just look it up. Read the, read the site. It explains. The website tells you right there how they did it and what it means and how they're figuring it out. It's not rocket science. And the model also says 60,000 is the average. There's a low and high number that it could be too, based on, and they tell you all that right there. They're just trying to give us an idea. It's like with a hurricane. It's like, uh, how mad would people be if there was a hurricane in the Atlantic Ocean and the weather people were just like, you know what? We're not going to predict this at all. We're just going to let it go wherever. You guys figure it out. Like, we're not going to say where we think the track is right now. Like, people would be up in arms. Same thing with this. They're trying to do, give us a prediction based on all the data they have. They can't just do nothing and not predict it. They've got to at least try and they'll get narrower and narrower as they go down. So people need to think about all that kind of stuff. And there are some solutions to get us back on track and we really need to take them. But, you know, people need to really get off the whole whose fault things are, uh, polarizing things, this Democratic or Republican issue. When this is all said and done, guess what? We can go back and we can say, did leaders act in time? Did they do all the right stuff? Were there ulterior motives involved? Was China involved? Whatever the conspiracies we have right now to investigate, we can go back and investigate all that stuff and see what we can find out what really happened. If people did things incorrectly on purpose, we can, you know, do whatever we can in the law to prevent that kind of thing from happening again. Um, but we have to wait until we get to that point. Like, we can't do that now. We don't have the resources. We need to spend the resources we have on solving the problem at hand. Those are problems that we will deal with in the future. Um, so anyway, those are my thoughts on this issue and kind of what's been happening. So hopefully you enjoyed. And uh, maybe I'll be, now. I probably won't be back again tomorrow. Well, we'll see. Who knows? I never know what I'm doing day, day to day. So in a bunch of meetings the rest of the afternoon. Um, so actually it's lunchtime for me. So I got to go eat lunch because I need to eat lunch quick before my next meeting. Um, so anyway, hope you enjoyed and, uh, later I'll 